Praise the Lord. You know, as the world continues to cross every biblical boundary, we need to know that God established eternal boundaries. It doesn't matter that the rules are being changed. It does, but it doesn't in the eternal perspective. It doesn't matter that what was once accepted as moral and decent is being eradicated because God's eternal boundaries are fixed. They are immutable. They're unchangeable. Morality and decency are still biblical guidelines for believers. As the push for tighter regulations and orders and mandates grows and narrows our ability to have what God has given us as freedom, the liberation of things that God hates increases. And as it does, we must stand true. We must make that choice to stand true to God's Word. God's moral boundaries produce good fruit. And as Christ our Lord said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. An orange tree does not produce apples. An apple tree does not produce oranges. Now, you might get a bad apple or you might get a bad orange, but overall, your orange tree is going to give you oranges and your apple tree is going to give you apples. Fig trees don't produce thorns and thistles don't produce good fruit either. And what the Lord's telling us is we will see by our character, by our action, by the way that we live our lives on this planet, we will see that we are His or not. He said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a pretty picture, but that's what he said. He said that. That's the reality. It's not something that relativism can change. He said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. As we see good being called evil and evil being called good, in our time right now, we can praise God because we know His day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. As we watch what God's Word predicts coming to pass, we can know His Word also reveals eternal boundaries. Is it too warm in here for anybody? A little bit? I can fix that. We'll just switch it around a little bit. How's that? It was cold when I came in this morning. And as His Word reveals those eternal boundaries, we can know that they are fixed. They they don't change. They're not fluid. They're not movable. Relativism is Satan's tool for world domination. 
That's just the bottom line. But it has no place in God's kingdom. There is no place in God's kingdom for relativism. Now, when I was in college, I was learning relativism. I was taught that in a class that was irrelevant to. But the professor was so deeply steeped in it himself, like a tea bag, it just came out of him. He was one who thought relatively. God's boundaries are not going to move. What was true for God yesterday is true today, and it will be true tomorrow, forever. We're going to read a parable that our Lord delivered to His followers, and it's going to give us eternal boundaries that He shared. The one that we claim to follow said, this is how it is, and He used a parable to do it. But before we go there, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You. God, I thank You. I'm I'm grateful that You use me to serve You. I'm thankful and grateful that You give me the words to say. I thank You, Lord, that You provide me with notes, usually, as today, that You guide me with to stay on track so I don't run all over the place, Lord. And I ask, Lord God, that You would give me unction today to speak what You want us to hear. I pray for all who are within the sound of my voice, whether now or by recorded means later or live on Facebook. And I ask, Lord God, that you would have your spirit move on our hearts as we hear from your word today. In Christ's name I pray, and all of God's people said. We're going to read from Luke's gospel record. Dr. Luke, the physician, Speaking of people in healthcare, Dr. Luke, the physician, is the only one that recorded this. He picked it up from somebody. Obviously, it was there. He wasn't there, but he picked it up from somebody who was. We're going to turn, if you want, in the books that you have in your seat there. The Bibles are page 1616 for Luke chapter 16. I found that interesting. And we're going to begin at verse 19. And this is what is often called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple was very expensive then. Purple is nothing to us now, but then it was extremely expensive. And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Sounds like his friends were the dogs. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, don't let that fall short on you, that little line there, and was buried. See, because there's a dual meaning there. He was dead. He was dead in sin, and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades. Now, see, He wasn't just buried and disappeared and was gone. He was in torment. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have the Scriptures up until that time. He says, let them hear from them. And this rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Because that's such a miracle as that, obviously. They're going to know. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. That's a horrible prophecy. Father, I ask that you would <sighs> let your word be heard today. Add your blessing to it, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a parable. It wasn't a real rich guy, and it wasn't a real guy named Lazarus. It was an illustration. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon, I'm just going to go from the second part, it's a narrative, fictitious but agreeable to the laws and usages of human life. In other words, it's not a real story, but it follows real parameters, the real boundaries of life. And it says, by which either the duties of men or the things of God, particularly the nature and history of God's kingdom, are figuratively portrayed. And it could also be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Our Lord repeatedly used parables to teach eternal concepts. This was one of the ways that he taught. And this parable has two main characters. Some unnamed wealthy guy and some poor guy named Lazarus. And I find it interesting that the poor guy's name is Lazarus. This is the same name of the one that John tells us that Christ raised from the dead. I thought, I wonder if he was foretelling something there. Could be. Now, as the one that we call Jesus told the story, he clearly compared and contrasted these two individuals, okay? He pointed out the contrast. One was rich, one was poor. One was dressed in fine, expensive clothing. The other, obviously, was not. Covered in sores. The rich guy ate extremely well. And this Lazarus was begging crumbs from his table. Big difference, okay? Our Lord made no mention of the rich guy's health, but he did describe that poor guy with having the sores on his body that the dogs would clean for him. So... The next thing we learn in this parable is that the two guys died, all right? And there's a very subtle idea there that we might overlook when we read the parable. 
but the picture is clear. Regardless of our financial status on earth, we are all going to die. We're not buying our way out of it. There's no way out, okay? That's one of those eternal concepts. It's an eternal boundary. We are all born into this life, and we will all die out of it. Praise God. There's nothing relative about those two facts, okay? Each of us enters, and each of us will die. Now, the beggar was carried by angels, and, and the Lord tells us that the angels will collect his people. And the, the beggar, he's taken into Abraham's bosom. This is a figurative picture of God's paradise, God's rest. It's a word picture. And this is the rest that our Lord called paradise when he was dying on the cross. It's written in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Yep, Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This was the guy that was hanging on the cross, dying next to him, said, Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be there with me. That's that paradise that the Lord's talking about that this poor guy was carried off into. Now, paradise, that word, occurs two other times in Scripture. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where Paul, describing the situation that took place, you know, he was killed, he was stoned to death one time, but uh, the Lord saw fit to send him back. And he's talking in the third person, he says, I knew a man once who, and he goes into telling the story about, was carried off into paradise. And he said he heard things that can't be expressed in words, and he was not permitted to speak. He said it was not lawful for him to speak. Now, in Revelation 2.7, we hear what our Lord said to the church in Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So there is this place called paradise. It's a real place. Jesus referred to it in his parable, his parabolic teaching about this rich guy and the poor guy. But it's a real place, all right? It's a place of comfort. It's a place of peace. It's a place of safety and wellness. And there's no more pain, no more tears, and no more suffering. Can we praise God? Praise God. He has made a place for us. His people have a place of everlasting rest. It is an eternal place of rest. There is no pain, no suffering, no thing that we deal with here that we would call strife, no harm. And it's written in Revelation 21 in verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Praise God! He's made that place for His people, and He will wipe away all of our tears. You think about that the next time you're crying, folks. The next time something brings you to feeling grief, remember, God is going to wipe away all of those tears. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's written, Behold, I show you a mystery, excuse me. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And he's referring to Isaiah 25, 8 there. Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, and that's that victory that we sing about. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. That's the victory we're talking about, okay? We sing about it. We need to know it's real, all right? We need to know that it's real. He's swallowing up death in victory. There will be no more death. Now, it's written in Revelation chapter 7, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Can you imagine that? Never being hungry again, never being thirsty again. And there he's speaking spiritually, but there's also a physical component to that. You won't be hungry. The sun, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, speaking of Christ, the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Who's going to wipe away the tears? God's going to wipe away the tears. Eternally. That's an eternal boundary that has been set. It is immutable. It will not be changed. God will make this place of peace available for His people. He says so. Speaks of those there that came through the great tribulation. And after he was stoned and left for dead, and you think about this because Paul refers, or infers, I would say, that he was the guy he was talking about when he said he went to paradise. After they left him for dead, he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now, we don't want to hear that part. We like hearing the part about the eternal rest. Oh, we all love that. But Paul himself said, we must through many tribulations. Now, he was speaking to the early church because they were, they were under great persecution. It was, it, was a, it was a trying time to be a believer. And all over the world today, there are people that are suffering for their faith, even just as close as Canada. The people in Australia are suffering for their faith. The people in places that we never thought we would hear are suffering. Now, we hear of some of these third world countries that are uh, run by other types of religions, and they say, we don't want Christians here, and they persecute the Christians. I get that. But we're talking about places that formerly were at least accepting of Christians. Now they don't even tolerate Christians. And unfortunately, it most likely is coming to this land. Now, as for this rich man, he also died and he was buried. But instead of comfort, he found himself in torment. And again, we don't like to hear about that. But he was constantly tormented. Constantly. Nonstop. There was no break. And this is our Lord 
Speaking of this place, which is the contrast to that place of paradise, which is real, here's the Lord talking about this other place. Now, this rich guy was able to look up out of his torment, and he was able to see in the distance Abraham and Lazarus. Now, imagine the torment of that. You're in torment, and you see somebody that's being comforted. Isn't that how it is for many people today? There are many people that are in torment right now, and they can see those who are not, and they're suffering in their lives right now. And this was that part of the parable that our Lord is trying to impress upon the people who were listening. Look, you see somebody in torment, help them. I know sometimes it's, it's difficult, but if you got the ability, give them a hand with whatever it is. Now, we look at this and we see the tables were turned, so to speak. The rich guy spent his life and wealth on himself. It was obvious. He fared sumptuously, the Scripture says. Lazarus suffered in life. But now the rich guy finds himself suffering, and Lazarus finds himself in comfort. Lazarus suffered briefly, but the rich guy will suffer forever. That's not a comforting thought. But it's a reality because our Lord shared it. Now, either it's true or He's a liar. And I'm not willing to call Him a liar, so I've got to go with what He said. The rich guy also saw that the one he could have helped was with Abraham. He was in peace. And he begged Abraham, begged him to have Lazarus help him. Please send him with some water to comfort me. What's Abraham? Sorry, no can do. Not going to happen. And you got to say, he was humbled by those flames, and he was tormented at the same time. And no doubt, he was tormented by seeing Lazarus in comfort. There's two different people, two completely different lives on earth, and two completely different outcomes. Eternal perspective. But notice both of these characters. We're conscious. There are those today that preach that death is it. There is no hell. You just disappear. But that's not what our Lord teaches. He wouldn't have taught this otherwise. He wouldn't have just used… This is a story. It is a fictional account that portrays real things. Rich man was separated from God but he was consciously separated from God. But not just separated from God, because there are those who preach that. Well, once you die, whenever you're going to hell, it's a place of separation from God. And it is that. But it's not just that. Though there are people that are lying to whomever will listen to them by saying, yes, okay, you end up in hell, but it's not as bad as you think. And then there are those who say, well, I'll be partying with my friends. Not going to happen. There'll be no party. He's tormented in the fire. Fire's translated from the uh, word flocks, the Greek word flocks. It's from a primary word, phlego. It means flash or flame, a blaze, flame or flaming. So the real deal here is he was in fire. And he was conscious, and he wasn't burned up. 
He remained in that fire. And I know this isn't a feel-good idea, but that's what the Lord shared. In the 25th chapter of Matthew, we learn that when Christ returns, He will separate people based on their lives, the fruit that they displayed. Are you mine or are you not? That's what his question is. And it's the fruit that he inspects that he says, okay, mine, not mine. I might be doing that backwards, left and right. He separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I have to ask, has he changed? From the time that he spoke this or when it was written, has he changed? Anybody? No. He says he's not going to change. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's not going to change. This is real. Now, we have to also recognize that his standards are unchanging. He's going to inspect the fruit. He's going to see what fruit we're producing, and he's going to judge the tree on the fruit that it has produced. Bad fruit, bad tree, goes in the fire. That's what he said. That's what he said, not me, him. Good fruit, hey, you get that place of eternal rest. That's what he said. In fact, he said some will be brought into everlasting life. That's written in Matthew 25 and verse 34. But a little further along, because then he says, you fed me, you clothed me, you did all these other things, he said that's the fruit he's going to look for. Did you participate in that in any way? Did you help other people, in other words? Whenever you don't, he says, they will be sent into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Matthew 25, verse 41. He said, that's what happens. I don't like it. I really don't. If I could scrub that out of the Scriptures, I would, folks. I'd tell you, it's all good. You don't have to worry about it. Live your life the way you feel like it. Do what you want. Have it your way. But that's not what he says. Did you notice the contrast was only between two dwelling places for life after earth? There's two. You don't have a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, just two. Comfort versus suffering. Peace versus unrest. Serenity versus strife. Those are the two places. Our Lord didn't disclose another dwelling place after death. And some of us were taught that from a young age that there was another dwelling place. In fact, some of our brothers and sisters think that they can pay to help people get out of that other place. But our Lord said, there's a place of comfort and rest, peace, serenity, and there's a place of torment. Now, we go to Matthew chapter 13, we hear that the Son of Man will send out His angels, they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Who defines lawlessness? Anybody? God. Okay, yeah, we got that. And we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing, that's crying, extreme, excess, excessive crying, and gnashing of teeth. When somebody gnashes their teeth, why do you suppose they would be gnashing their teeth? They're angry. How dare you? That's the, that's the picture that our Lord is giving us. There'll be those who are crying sorrowfully, 
and won't be able to come out of that place, and there will be those who are gnashing their teeth, balling up their fists at God. That's the picture he gives us. Then, he says, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear to hear, let them hear. Pay attention, he's saying. Pay attention. This matters. These are the eternal boundaries. He has set them. He has set them from the time that he made that place for the devil and his angels. And there is, it's not a place for us. He doesn't want us to go there. He wants us in his presence, praising him and worshiping him for all of eternity. That's what he wants for his people. And all we need to do is live for him. Accept what he's offered. He sent his only begotten son into this world because he loved this world. And he made the way out of that place that we call hell. That's suffering. We don't want to suffer for eternity. We have to remember, no matter what anybody else says, God's word says the righteous shall inherit eternal life. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. But it's also true that whoever those wicked, iniquitous people are, they're going to be punished. That's what God's Word says. And Christ our Lord, the one that we follow, the one we claim to follow, He said it. Now, there are many who sleep in the dust of the earth. They shall awake. It's written in Daniel chapter 12. Some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's the same exact message. Where do you think our Lord got it from? He had these Scriptures. He studied these Scriptures. He knew these Scriptures. He shared these Scriptures. But He didn't quote the line and verse. He just shared the ideas. In Romans chapter 6, and verse 22 We hear this, but now, having been set free from sin, who's been set free from sin? We've been set free from sin. Christ's sacrifice sets us free. When we accept what He did for us, we are set free from that prison, all right? Having been set free, it's past tense, it's not happening right at this moment, it has already happened. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, how many of you know that you're a slave of God? You are God's slave. You are His property. He bought and paid for you, okay? If you are, in fact, His, you're His slave, all right? You are His doulos. Now, having become slaves, you already are. You have, you are producing your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. That's God's Word. It's already done. Now, In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, we hear this, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. In other words, you feed this flesh, it is going to control you. Your spirit is to control you. The Holy Spirit is to guide you. But if you feed this flesh, whatever it desires, it will run you. And it's not running you to produce fruit for God. That's the fact. That's what God's Word makes clear here. And... We go on. It says, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And that's the place that God wants us to be in. In verse 26, we find another point of importance. Besides all this, Abraham tells him, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those there pass to us. See, those are the eternal boundaries, folks. This is our Lord speaking. 
He illustrated those eternal boundaries very clearly. When you are there, you're there. As I was preparing the message, I recalled the lyrics of a David Gilmour uh, song. It was a cover of another band called Unicorn, which wasn't well-known. But in 1976, they wrote the song, and then in 1978, David Gilmour produced it. There's no way out of here when you come in, you're in for good. That's the song that came to mind. As I was preparing this, I'm like, wow, that used to play in my mind all the time. And I thought of it way back then, 1978. I was thinking of, that sounds like hell. But it's also of heaven. It speaks of heaven. And then, as I was preparing the notes, the, some of the lyrics of the Eagles Hotel California came to mind. We're all prisoners here of our own device, they sing. We're all prisoners here of our own device. And then, relax, said the night man. We're programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. That's what came to mind as I was preparing this message. I'm like, okay, those things have been in my mind a long time. I haven't even listened to those songs. But there they were. You see, they're the words that can be applied to that place of everlasting torment. There are no exits, only entrances. And it's the same that's true for heaven, for God's paradise. There are entrances in, and we're calling Christ is the entrance. All that goes right to Christ. If we come through Christ, we're in. No one comes to the Father except through Him. That's what He said. There are many, so there are many ways to heaven. It's all in through Christ. doesn't matter what road you come in. You've got to go through Christ. You might come through a, one denomination or another demonic nation. It all comes through Christ. Besides this, though, there's a great gulf. There's no way out. Folks might go there as atheists or unbelievers, but they don't stay unbelievers. Like I tell people, there's no unbelievers in hell. They're converted once they arrive. They know the truth, but the truth doesn't set them free at that point. Now, the other truth that's illustrated in, illustrated in that parable of Lazarus and the rich guy is that this principle applies to both eternal dwelling places. It's fixed. You can't cross from there to here, and you can't cross from here to there. That's what our Lord said. Now, I personally was taught differently when I was raised. I was taught differently. There's a way out. You can get out of that by, if you've got enough people praying for you and all this. You know, every once in a while I still find myself thinking of that because I was raised in it. I thought, well, I want to help people, so I'm going to pray for them after they die. But the Lord says there's no way to cross from one to the other. That troubles me. And maybe in God's grace, maybe there is some way, but He doesn't illustrate it here, I can tell you that. Even if somebody wanted to rescue another or help another that's in that place of torment, the Lord's making it clear that we can't. The boundaries are forever fixed. Now, the final parable point that I found, anyway, is that we have the Scriptures to teach us the way of life. Because our Lord, what did He say? In John chapter 5 and verse 39, He said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. He said, The Scriptures tell you about Me, Him, not Me, not Me. Oh, no, no, not Me. Him. Right. 
When the Helper comes, he said, this is written in John chapter 15, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And there's another passage of Scripture, which I did not include in my notes, that says all you need is the teacher, the Holy Spirit, to teach you. He's the one that's going to teach you of Christ. He's the one that's going to lead you to Christ. No matter what path you're on, He's going to bring you to Christ, and you're going to enter, if you do. Now, the rich guy wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead. And we know he wanted this because he thought that Lazarus could persuade his loved ones to repent. We know Lazarus was raised from the dead. We don't know if anybody repented, but I'll bet he had a heck of a testimony. He was out proclaiming, hey, I was that guy. You heard about me. I got sick. I died. Then Christ came. Jesus came, raised me from the dead. Yeah, right. You ask everybody that knows me. They'll tell you I was dead. He raised me from the dead. Some people believed, but others undoubtedly did not. Because the Lord tells us, Abraham told that rich guy, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Think about that. Our Lord rose from the dead. Our Lord is predicting exactly what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and they're not going to believe me. Subtle, but it's in there. It was his prediction. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be buried. He knew that he was going to be raised from the grave. But many would reject him. And it's still happening today. People don't believe that he rose from the dead. People don't believe he was real. Oh, it's a fable, somebody told me. It's a fairy tale. Why do you believe in that stuff? But that was his prediction. When the real Lazarus died and buried, rose from the dead, he experienced what our Lord tells in this parable, just as our Lord Himself has. And that's a certain truth. Christ arose from the dead. Do you believe that He arose from the dead? I do. I believe He died. He was buried, and He arose from that grave, and He's victorious over death forever. That's what I know by reading God's Word. Are you ready to turn your entire life over to Him? Every aspect of your life? See, that's the hard part for some people, because they've got these things in their pockets, you know? Well, you know, Lord, this isn't that bad. I mean, I've had this all my life. Can't I just hold on to this? He says, no. Let it go. It's got to go. Because that's getting between you and me, he's saying. You've got to let that go. If it's idolatry, you've got to let it go. Whatever it is. And I don't know why the Lord had me speak that. That's not in my notes. Don't worship anything but God. Because that's bad fruit. That shows a bad tree. We may not live in constant sin expecting God's favor doesn't happen. He makes that clear. It's a certain truth. 
Are you ready to turn away from everything that displeases Almighty God and grieves the Holy Ghost? Are you ready for that? If persecution and tribulation came upon this land like other brothers and sisters are experiencing right now all over the world, if persecution was here right now, the doors bust open and we're under siege, how are you going to respond? I heard a preacher one time, he said, some armed men came into the church building and pulled out their guns and said, okay, anybody that believes in Jesus, you stay in your seats. Everybody else, you leave. And a bunch of people got up and ran out the door. And the preacher said, okay. No, excuse me, they told the preacher, now you can go preaching. You got the real ones here. See, that's what God's going to do. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He says he's going to cast out a net. It's like a fisherman who casts out a net, draws in all kinds, but then he sorts them. Sheep from the goats, the good fish from the bad fish. Think of the ten virgins. They were all virgins. Five were wise, five were otherwise, and the otherwise didn't get in. There are many ways that the Lord has expressed how important it is to live for Him. Are you ready to devote your life to Him completely? That's all He wants. And it might seem like a lot, but that's what He wants. It's just time, folks. It's time. If you're ready, you can be certain that you'll spend eternity with your Creator forever. But if not, you're on the road to perdition. You're in grave danger. And that's not what I want for anybody who sits under my preaching at all. The eternal boundaries are clear, and the time to choose is now. It's written, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because the eternal boundaries are set, and you get to choose right here, right now. Where will you spend eternity? Think about it. It's your choice. He gives you that choice. Live for Him. Produce that fruit that He approves of, and live with Him for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Please root Your Word within our hearts. God, help us to be Your people who are set apart from any and all darkness. Let us walk in Your light, I pray, that You would use each of us to Your glory, that we would recognize the eternal boundaries are clear. Help us, Lord, to choose this day whom we will serve. And I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.